0: Uh, I'm going to ask you to find John chapter 14 and 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to start in John chapter 14. All right. <clears throat> now, I got back to English teaching this week. It was okay. Um, but uh, I got back to I saw my pastor's wife this week. She said, when are you going to start preaching standing up again? I said, I'm getting there. And I, That's what pushed me on Thursday. I was like, okay, I'm to preach standing up. Now, so I'm, I'm feeling like moving around again. But anyway, um, when you read a book, okay, am I ringing a little bit? When you read a book, how many people have ever read a book? All right, okay. <laughs> so i just like, is this a trick question? But when you read a book, you always consider the climax That's the biggest part of the book, right? That's the the capstone, the high point, the pinnacle of the story. It's kind of hard to read a book without looking forward to or looking back on that high moment, otherwise known as the climax. And when you read the Bible, you have to consider what is he writing about in this book? What is the the moment? the turning point, the pinnacle. Have you ever thought about that? What is the big moment in the Bible? What is the biggest deal for God? Well, I I know what it was for you. For you, the climax is probably the first coming of Christ. That's what you look back on, right? That's when Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. Amen? Oh, come on. He died for your sins, folks. He didn't die to start a church. He died because you're a dirty, rotten sinner who deserves to burn in hell, and unless he stepped in the path of God's wrath, you were going to burn like a torch forever, like the wicked sinner that you are, and Jesus Christ took the hit that you and I deserve. Thank you, Jesus. I just thought I'd plug that in there. Let me start there. That way everything else is, uh, is uphill or downhill. I don't know. Because you know the church today is thinking Jesus died because he you have a God shaped hole in your heart, and Jesus died because you know you're not fulfilled. No, Jesus died because unless he shed that blood, Amen. you are going to be barbecue for eternity. Amen. So thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, for God, that's not the climax. You know that? Amen. Big deal for you. Kind of tough for the Father kind of had to put the lights out while his son tasted death for every man while his son became the sin that you so flippantly partake of he had to put the lights out so for God when he thinks about this story that he's writing he's not looking ahead or he's looking back to the cross for God the climax is most certainly the second coming of Christ that's the big deal to the father that's what he's looking forward to. That's the high point. That's what they'll look back on through all eternity. They won't be looking back to just the cross. They're going to be looking back to that second coming. He said, what's going to happen at that second coming? He ain't coming to die on a cross. He's coming to reign on a throne forever in his kingdom. Now, look at John chapter 14. Look at verse 1. Jesus is comforting his disciples with the promise of his second coming. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. That's pretty clear, right? I will come again. Do you know there are at least 48 prophecies of Jesus Christ's first coming? You know, well, at least 48 of his first coming. You know, the mathematical probability of that is astounding. It is mathematically impossible that those things happen by coincidence or by accident. But do you know, so 48, 48 mathematical impossibility. You know, there are at least 1,800 references to the second coming. 1800, over 1800. 318 in the New Testament alone. If 48 busts the computer, what do you do with 300? What do you do with 1800? If we know Jesus Christ came the first time, it only makes sense to say Jesus Christ is gonna come the second time. If the first time was that sure of a bet, the second time has to be astronomically more bankable. Now, go to 2 Peter chapter 3. Brethren, I say that, and we've been so anesthetized by the skeptics and the scoffers of the world that we have a hard time believing what just God plainly said. In fact, the last days the Bible predicted would be full of scoffers who would mock and doubt, what? The promise of his coming. He told you in advance they wouldn't believe he was coming again. The Bible doesn't pull any punches. Look at it, it says right there in 2 Peter 3:3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, here we are, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Brethren, this is happening even among so-called church people. Right? Because those people are acknowledging the fathers. They're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not like staunch atheists. Even among people that profess God, they're saying, oh, the second coming. You know some of the ideas that are permeating so-called Christian circles today? Things like preterism. Stupid word. What a stupid word, preterism. The belief that Revelation, the book of Revelation, was already fulfilled. Are you smoking the ganja? What are you talking about? The book of Revelation has already You saw smoke and brimstone falling from heaven yesterday? Idiots with these ideas. And they debate, you know, am I a hyper preterist or am I a semi-preterist? I think you're just an idiot. That's what I think you are. Right? right? And I I come on strong because you need to get shaken out of the lethargy of all these, of all these fancy words and all these. Fair words, you know what they do with those fair words and fair speeches? They deceive the hearts of the simple. The Bible put it right there, plate high. I will come again. Well, did he, was, was, was Nero the beast? I'll tell you, you'd you never saw the beast. The beast hasn't appeared yet. If the beast was here, you and I'd be in a cave somewhere, like huddled for our lives. Right? Post millennialism. Stock up on all your stuff because we're going through the tribulation and then Jesus will come back. You know, that's not Bible either. Amillennialism. You notice how they always have an ism? It's always got to have an ism, right? Amillennialism. You know what amillennialism says? Oh, Jesus is never coming back. Ah, millennial. There is no kingdom on earth. He's never coming back. You just, he'll live in your heart and you just, you know, hopefully be okay. All this crazy stuff, folks. You know what I want to talk about today? Very simply the promise of his coming. And I just want to give you some things that I was thinking about. There's no rhyme or reason to it, just stuff that popped up in my head. Just some reasons for you and I to be encouraged and to remember that Jesus Christ is coming again. Very soon. Maybe sooner than we all think. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you today. And Lord, uh, just pray you get some glory out of this. Father, give me the ability to preach, Lord, that only you can give. Give me the strength, Lord, to do it. And help us to receive the truth, Lord. Help us to lay hold of it. Help us to look to you, Lord. And may your Son, Jesus Christ, get the glory by drawing a saint and convicting a sinner today, Father. In Jesus' name, we put it at your feet. We thank you. We love you in advance, Father, of what you'll do through us and in us and around us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, let's go back to John chapter 14. Let me give you just maybe, I guess you don't want to call it reason number one. Number one, you can trust the promise of his coming because... God told you. (laughs) You know, that was a big one, right? I keep losing. I keep losing the spit guard. I don't know what's going on with this. I cannot keep, right? Look at John chapter 14, verse number three. Let's read it again, just in case it's confusing, some of you. I know it's deep words here. And if I go and prepare, watch out, two syllables, a place for you, I will come again every single word in there but one was one syllable word if Jesus did not mean he was coming again he would not say I will come again okay two words with two syllables forgive me I was wrong right Jesus means what he says and says what he means folks he says in the previous verse if it were not so I would have told you right remember his disciples are grieving his disciples are hurting hey when your heart is breaking i don't flip over to the book of joel and say you know look at this army that crawls into the houses who do you think those are no you know what i turn to i turn to a psalm like psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd right that's pretty easy you know when I want to show somebody how to get saved, I don't turn to Ezekiel 38 and 39 and say, who oh, do you think Gog and Magog are, huh? No, you know what I turn to? I turn to John three sixteen, 16, Romans chapter 10, or Romans chapter 6. You know what? When you're hurting and your heart is breaking, you know what? You need something simple like, I will come again. You need something straight like, I will come again. You need something clear from your gracious Heavenly Father that you can grasp because, Lord, I'm kind of drowning here and you're telling me you're leaving and my heart's breaking and I don't know what's going on. Hey, 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 let not your heart be troubled. Believe also in me. I'm coming again. Can I tell you something about Bible study that you need to remember? You always take the literal meaning of a verse until you can't. Write that down, okay? Make a note. You always take the literal meaning of a verse until you can't. I am the bread of life. I don't see, Jesus wasn't saying, I got flour and milk and, you know, eggs and I jumped in an oven and I came out and I want to rip a piece of myself off and slap some butter on my toe and just enjoy a good, you know, carb fest. It's not what he's talking about. I can't take that literally, though some people in John chapter 6 did take it literally, and Jesus said, does this offend you? And they were like, oh, right, because you can't take it literally. It's figurative. It's allegorical. It's symbolic. But I will come again? Is there anything abstract in that? Is there anything esoteric in that? Is there anything like, oh, what is this deep thing? If I went, said, stay right here. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. You'd be like, okay, I guess it means you're going to be right back. You know, when Arnold Schwarzenegger said, I'll be back, nobody said, like, what does that mean? What could that be? No, it means I'm coming back. And another good rule for Bible study, don't beware of anyone who wants to tell you what the Bible means instead of what it says. We're not interested in what the Bible means or you think it means. I want to show you what it says. That's what the Bible says. I don't care what you think it means. Well, that means blah, 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 blah. And I have to listen to you and pay you to find out what it means. No, just look at what it says. John chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. The context of Jesus Christ's words, as I said, is comfort for his disciples. Amen. Amen. How is it comforting if he's not meaning what he says right there? Put yourself on the disciples' shoes. He had been with them physically. What's he telling them? I'm coming back physically. They had seen him with their eyes. So he says, you're going to see me with your eyes again. That's the comfort. Not that it's just some fuzzy, mystical, religious talk. I will come again. Right? What does that do for them? Nothing. But hey, you're going to touch me. And what did he say in the upper room? What did he say? Hey, touch me and handle me. See? A spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. I'm back. Like I said, I was coming back. Go to John chapter 16. Here he is again with his disciples. You see, look at John 16, 22. I got to confess and thank you for praying because standing up and preaching right now feels about, I feel like a million bucks. I just want to say that right now. (laughs) I've been sitting way too long. All right, John chapter 16. Uh, Jesus says, And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. The comfort of that verse comes from the promise of his physical, visible, bodily return. That's what makes those words comforting. I said it before, mathematical probability of 48 prophecies of Christ's first coming. You know what that mathematical probability of 48 prophecies coming true? One in 10 to the 157th power. There are not enough electrons in the universe to match that number. I can't compare that I could take eight of the prophecies and I could say, you know what eight of the prophecies coming true is like? It's like taking the state of Texas, filling it four feet high with silver dollars, marking one of those and stirring the whole thing up and saying, pick out one silver dollar and you pick out the one I matched first try. That's the probability that eight could come true by chance. I'm not talking about eight. I take like 16. 16 is like sending you out into space and just taking one speck of something and out of space and spinning all the space up and saying, you just touched the one speck of something that I just touched. And that would be 16. 16. 48, I can't give you an analogy because it's bigger than the known particles in the universe. We have not followed cunningly devised fables, Amen. brother. Right? Why are we so foolish and slow of heart to believe all the promises of his second coming? God told you that should be enough. I will, but, but there's more. So go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me give you some more. But wait, there's more. I'm not gonna sell you a sham wow, don't get nervous. Second Timothy chapter three. I'm dating myself, right? Second Timothy chapter three. Can I tell you another reason why you could trust the promise of his coming? You could trust the promise of his coming because people not you, you're the best crowd I know. But people are tainted. They're spoiled, they're corrupted, they're rotten. What does that have to do with the second coming? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible prophesied societal degradation in the last days. So when I see people rotten, wicked, going, doing stuff, I, you know what that reminds me? Ooh, Jesus is coming. Amen. 2 Timothy 3, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, no self-control otherwise, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. The Bible said that the last days of this age we're living in would be marked by wicked people. Tainted people, corrupted people. Look, I'm just going to pick out a few of these and just spin off them a little bit. Three, two. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You know what the Bible predicted? The time we're living in. You know what dominates the time we're living in? Social media. You know what social media has given rise to? The selfie. Those of us that grew up before 2015, I don't know, we didn't take selfies of each other, right? We never took a Polaroid camera and spun it around and posted. We didn't do that. Maybe we did it once in a while, but... Who did stuff like that? Now we got selfie sticks, and selfie this, and selfie that. I watched the talent show at my school on Friday, uh, and you know what they had to do? They had to go there, and the kids stopped. They had to take a selfie of themselves in front of the stage. It's this obsession with self that's manifested. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, I'm not saying it's wicked to go to the Grand Canyon and take a selfie of yourself, but there is this fascination and this just unhealthy obsession with, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. God said that was going to happen. Let's keep going. Am I making you uncomfortable? Some of you took a selfie in the parking lot, came to church. Verse 3. How about without natural affection. How about a culture where just natural, as my Italian brethren would say, simpatico, right? Just a little bit of kindness, a little bit of heart is harder and harder to find. A culture where the family is under attack, where marriage is a joke to most people, where babies are expendable. And could go in a garbage bag rather than mess up your busy life. That's the culture we're living in. That's the world we're living in. We've lost the natural affection we're just supposed to have for each other. For our neighbors, for our friends. Hey, go take the train. Go take the bus. You used to be able to have a conversation with somebody. Now it's like everybody's locked in, locked out, zoned in, zoned out. You know, walk in a store tomorrow and just smile and say hello to somebody. You might just make their, like, I don't know, their head blow off their neck. Oh, what, were you talking to me? Yeah, I'm sorry. I was talking to a fellow human being. I was acknowledging your existence and saying good morning, you know? You know? And you think it's bad. I mean, you're a little older, folks, but I work around teenagers. It's like you would think that that phone was surgically attached to their left hand, and, you know, if they look away from it, they might miss the winning lotto numbers that they did the night before. Look at verse number three again. It says, fierce 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 we had a society bent on violence people we got shootings off the hizuk i mean shooting you ever done a, you ever gone and looked at like the shootings mass shootings in america you only hear about some of them they're happening all over the place yeah. Happening all over the place. I think just last week in Hollywood, Florida, a couple of guys you know, popped off at a beach. People got in a fight. and Who got shot? Who got hit? Little kids got tagged by bullets. What's going on? You got people getting beaten on a sidewalk because they're wearing a hat that you don't like the politics of. What is that? Does that sound normal to you? God said it was going to happen. People are going to get violent and fierce and vicious. Three. Look at three. Keep going. Um despisers of those that are good. We're living at a time where people hate anyone who wants to just do right by God. Amen. You know, it's a couple of people sent this to me. Some of you sent this to me. Yesterday, I think it was. Utah. Utah's banning the Bible in elementary schools yes. for vulgarity and violence. You know, in, a, in the world, one in nine Christians worldwide faces persecution. We're the exception. We're the blessed exception. He said, say, what do these Christians want to do all over the world? What do they want to do in Cambodia and Nigeria and, you know, Southeast Asia and maybe parts of Chiapas, Mexico? What do they want to do? They want to just do the same thing you're doing this morning. They want to walk around with their Bible. They want to sing those great old hymns. They want to live godly, and the world is hating them for it and making it more and more difficult for that to happen. God said that was going to happen. Verse 4. Heady, high-minded... Man, we're so smart now, aren't we? We know so much, don't we? You know, we got this culture. We got a pack of fools who think they're going to achieve immortality without Jesus Christ. Whether it's Mr. Musk and his Neuralink. I know some of you like him real much. You think he's a big, great guy. Maybe he is, I don't know. But I'm going to hook your brain up to the internet so you can live forever online. This transhumanism stuff that's going on, we're going to connect ourselves to machines and connect ourselves to computers so our consciousness can live forever online. This artificial intelligence that's going to you know, take us over and over. You know what all that stuff is? You know what all that stuff is? That stuff is the Tower of Babel all over again. Amen. Let us build us a tower that our top may reach unto heaven. They don't want to do that all without God. You know what the Bible said in the last days in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse number 4? He said, knowledge shall be increased. And oh, we know so much now. We've opened, we know the genome now. We know the code of this and the code of that. And we know how much of this and how much of that and what to eat and what not to eat and the drugs and the this and the that. And blah, blah, blah. You know what? God still says, I hold your soul in life. Yeah. God still says, your times are in my hand. Yeah. And we've gotten to a place now where we're so heady and we're so high-minded. I've heard them say it. They think they're going to live forever without God and without Christ. God said it's going to happen. He say, what does that say to you? I'm not worried about it because if we get back to the Tower of Babel, guess what? That means he's coming down to foil their plans, right? Look at verse number six, or verse number five. Here's the scariest part of this whole verse, whole passage having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away that tells me who he's talking about is not just a bunch of staunch atheists he's talking about it infiltrating church people infiltrating religious folks infiltrating people with a maybe a smattering of christianity a little churchianity But not the real thing, not the gospel, not the Lord Jesus Christ, not the power of God. Can I say this to you? All the stuff we read in the first four verses might be about the world, but it's also about people that might be sitting where you sit. And can I tell you this, that the world is in the toilet because the church is on the seat? The world is not in the toilet and the church is on the seat. The world is in the toilet because the church is on the seat. Because you're supposed to be the lights. You're supposed to be the moon that affects the tides of this earth. And you and I are living just like they are, with a little bit of Jesus sprinkles on a Sunday. And we have countless, listen, I'm going to just go off on of my salvo here. You could take it up with the deacons if you want to fire me. Uh, we have countless churches that have thrown the King James Bible overboard. Yeah. That shore anchor. And they are literally lost at sea. They are tossed and driven about with every wind of doctrine, like a ship without any direction, any moorings. We have so-called, here we go, worship teams, right? That have dumped the old hymns like a bad habit. Oh, we'll never get people in church for that. They'll never come if we sing that. They'll never come if we do that. Who said that was the goal? I thought the goal was to honor God. I thought the goal was to bless your Savior. I thought the goal was to just hold the line. And do what God said to do, and come what may, come hell or high water. That's what we're supposed to do, right, Lord? That's what He said to do, right? When did it become about results? When did it become about creature comforts? When did it come about, oh, that's what the crowd wants? Verse number six For of this sort are they which creep into houses. He's talking about churches, houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts. We got teachers infiltrating the body of Christ on YouTube, on this, on that, in I don't all types of fellowships, with bad doctrine. And they just appeal to people's sensuality, they appeal to what people like, what people don't like, and they just lead them astray instead of preaching on their sin and helping them to repent and leading them into a holy relationship with their Savior right? Look, if I offend you, that's not my goal. I offend myself. I offend myself. Before I preach anything to you, I get myself upset every single day, how far short I come of what God said I should be and where I should be. Verse seven, because of this, we have people that are ever learning. Oh, there's no shortage of Christian seminars and Christian books, and Bible talks, and Bible radio, and Bible programs, and all kinds of stuff. Hey, it's out there, man. But they're ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what the saddest thing is, my dear brethren? And I'm not speaking to you. You're the exception, right? You're the oddballs on many levels. You're the oddballs, right? I'm serious. But we got a church that doesn't know anything about her God what he thinks. In the last few weeks, I've had two conversations with two good brothers that are nice guys that I've known for a long time. They don't go to this church, but you know what? They don't know anything. One conversation was about Calvinism, and you know how much I love Calvinism. And he goes, well, you don't really know, brother. I love, you know, I like reform theology. I said, I like reform theology. I said, you think God Pre-selected people to go to heaven and hell, and spun the lotto wheel and just picked them before eternity passed. And now you have a chance to get there, and you don't. And that's how God is. God's that capricious, and God's that fickle, and God's that mean-spirited. Oh well, when you put it that way, yeah. Well, what other way you want me to put it? (laughs) You know. And then I got to look like the bad guy, like I got an axe to grind. I said, I don't have an axe to grind, but I said I think it's. Well, what do you think about it, brother? I said I think it's blasphemous. I said I think it's a misrepresentation of my God who hung on the cross and said, "I tasted death for every man." I think it's a misreputation of my loving God who said, God so loved the world. I think it's a misreputation of my God. I said, I'm a little sick and tired of people saying that my God is like that, and that's not how my God is like. My God said, whosoever will, let him come, let him come, let him come. Stop misrepresenting my father. Amen. Yeah, that makes me upset. And I didn't get upset with him. But, but to see a guy who's in the ministry, this guy's in the thick of things. Well, we don't really know anything for sure. I want to be like, yes, we do. Yeah. Yes, we do. How many verses you want me to give you about free will? How many verses you want me to give you about unlimited atonement? Right? But the body of Christ, we don't know anything. We're not sure if Jesus is God. We're not sure about the Trinity or the Godhead. We're not sure about this. We're not sure about that. we just got all kinds of ideas and books and stuff floating around and, man. You know, if you love Shakespeare... And you don't know anything about Shakespeare. I question how much you love Shakespeare. Yeah. Oh, I just love Shakespeare. Really? What's your favorite play? The, the one with the fartles. Um, who would fartles bear? Uh, uh, how many have you read? I, well, I don't really read them. I just I kind of like the picture of him with that bust, and he's sitting there by the Globe Theater. He just looks so dignified. Could you tell me your favorite line from Shakespeare? Oh, um... Uh, to, to, uh, what's the one where he's looking for his apartment? To be or not to be? Um, right? You tell me you love God. What's your favorite verse? You tell me you love God. Tell me something about him. Give me some of his attributes. You like how he parted the Red Sea? You like how he... You know, how can you tell me you love somebody? Oh, but I love Jesus. That's what they tell you, right? Oh, but we should just love Jesus. I don't think we should be divisive about things. We just love Jesus. Yeah, I love Jesus because... I read about him in a book. And I speak to him in prayer. And I want to learn about him. I want to see his mind. Lord, you did that. Why'd you do that? What does that show me about your character, your mind, your righteousness, your long suffering? Verse go to chapter four. Look across the page, verse chapter four of the same book. He says, For the time will come. Verse three. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. He's telling a pastor that, folks a pastor who stands up like I do and has to talk to people about the Bible. He says, hey, the time's going to come when the people that sit in churches or fellowships or Bible studies or whatever name you want to slap or, you know, communities or whatever it is, are not going to endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Pulpits that should be ablaze or appeasing the lusts of the people. And you know what that is? Laodicea. The of of the people, the justice for the people, what the people want. That's what's happening. God said it was going to happen. God predicted it. Revelation chapter 3. You want to look at Laodicea? Is this making any of you uncomfortable? Right? Revelation 3, verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write... It's the last church. This is the church of the last days. This is the church age we're living in. This is the church right before Jesus Christ comes back. These things say at the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. That's a scary thought. That thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You know what all this compromise among Christ's church does? It makes the Savior sick. It makes him just like, bleh. You ever see something just like, bleh? You know, you make that gesture to be like, oh, that makes me sick. That's what he thinks about when he thinks about his church at this age that is just so compromised and so fleshy. And in verse 17 says, they don't even know it. They don't even realize it. Now, Brethren, you shouldn't... Why am I saying all this in this message? You shouldn't be surprised by a lukewarm church in the last days. The age ends in apostasy. The dispensation ends in apostasy. Every dispensation ends in judgment and ruin and collapse. Why would the church age be any different? Why would this dispensation be any different? It ends with a lukewarm people... That make the Savior kind of gag. Don't be discouraged by everything being shipwreck. Remember the promise of His coming. Amen. Remember that this is a oh oh. I know why this is happening. Jesus is coming. Yeah. He told me this was going to happen. This is another reminder of the promise of His coming. And give me one more. Go to Luke 17 and this thing about societal degradation. Not only society, the saints. But how about this in Luke 17? This one will get me kicked off YouTube, but let's just do it anyway. You think it's a a joke, but in God bless America, you got a state that's saying we can't have the Bible in elementary school. In Utah, which the last time I checked, is a conservative state. A lot of uh, Mormons in that state, right? They tend to lean, you know, to conservative. But uh, so it is. Look at uh, Luke 17, 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage. That's interesting. Until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. About the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Lord said, You know what it's going to be like when I come back? It's going to be like two times in your Bible Noah and Lot. You know what both those times are marked by? Rampant sexual perversion. Right? So I'm not going to get into all that. That's not my message. But as we get closer to his coming, you and I shouldn't be shocked by sexual perversion everywhere. Amen. We're right on schedule, brethren. Yes. 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 Thank you. Thank you. I mean, whether it's Z or they or he or it or whatever you want to call who you are, I shouldn't be shocked by that. Amen. That's right. yeah. And I'm just going to say this. Don't be shocked when it goes to the next level of perversion. We've gotten to the place where same-sex almost looks normal now compared to all the other stuff that's going on. Wait till we get outside the species. Wait till it's the children. Wait till it's animals. As it was in the days of Noah, and it was in the days of Lot. Why did he tell them all those things in Leviticus? Yeah, that's right. He said, if somebody, you know, yeah, right. with that thing, you've got to kill both. You've got to kill the beast and the person. That's yeah, that's he right. said, for the nations committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. That's what he said. For... But don't be, hey, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm really, I'm happy. Because all these things tell me he's coming. Because it's just like he said it was going to happen. I'm just trying to encourage you that all these things are coming to pass, just like he said they were coming to pass. So don't get upset when they call evil good. It should just remind you of the promise of his coming. Let's turn uh, uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 30. Let me give you number three quickly and number four quickly here. I'm enjoying this a little too much. I've been thinking about this message for weeks. That's why I guess. Let me give you another one. Can I give you two more? Number three. Jeremiah 30 is where I'm at. You can trust the promise of His coming because Israel exists today. You know that? The fact that Israel is a nation today is living proof of the promise of His coming. Because the only way a nation similar in size and population, you'll never believe it. I was searching all over the internet. What what state is similar in size and population to Israel? You know what they said. New Jersey. (laughs) The armpit of the union. Hallelujah. (laughs) The only way a nation similar in size and population to Jersey exists is the promise of God. The only way that's there, given all that's been against her, is the promise of God. Look at Jeremiah 30, verse 3. Look at some of these promises. Right? Jeremiah 33. For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again future the captivity of my people, Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. How about Ezekiel? Ezekiel. How about Ezekiel? How about Ezekiel? Ezekiel 36. I'm just giving, there's so many I could give you, but I'll just give you three. I'll just give you a tree because I'm from Jersey, right? Ezekiel 36, verse 24. I'm embracing it. I am a Jersey boy. Ezekiel 36. Not the doo band, but Ezekiel 36, 24. Ezekiel 36, 24. For I will take you, he's speaking to his people again, ready? You ready, you there? For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land, future. How about uh, Amos? That one might be a little harder to find, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and find the last chapter of Amos, the last two verses of the chapter. Ready? Say amen if you're there. I thought that was going to be a lot lots, lots smaller. All right. Amos 9, 14. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities, wow, and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. I guess something like Eli you might be thinking about, it, right, brother? Like thinking about, thinking about the place, the streets he walked over by Kephar Saba and give time where he grew up. You know, to think about that, where people be singing the hymns Sing in praise to his God. Sing in praise to the man he saw on that cross as a little child. One day, brother, they're going to be singing to that Yeshua. They're going to be singing to him, right? Plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land. It's their land. Their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which i have given them saith the lord thy god over and over and over again god promised to bring that nation back to their land and anybody that tells you that's not literal watch them you know that's you know uh we supersessionists believe that those promises were appropriated to the church nah 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 take your appropriations back you know I don't need any of appropriations you know what that is God making a promise to a group of people nationally that doesn't apply to you you ain't got no land your, your city is up there your home is up there your city doesn't ever touch the earth just hovers right above it because this world is not your home but there's some people that are promised the earth Israel, the seed of Abraham. And God made that promise despite all that's been done to destroy those people. You know your history at all? How about 70 AD? Titus comes in, Roman governor comes in, destroys Jerusalem, scatters the Jews. That was just the beginning, brethren. For hundreds, dare I say thousands of years following that, Jews have been expelled and persecuted everywhere. They were labeled officially Christ killers by the Roman Catholic Church and that was used to torture them and persecute them and hate them. They were expelled as a matter of policy from England, from Spain, from France, from Austria there's even records of the United States turning back boats of Jews all throughout the Middle Ages all throughout the medieval times they were blamed for the bubonic plague and tortured because of it they were attacked and hunted in pogroms throughout Russia Adolf Hitler see we all think it was just Hitler oh it was so much more than Hitler but Adolf Hitler right? He exterminated at least six million of them, at least six million of them in concentration camps. Do you know on, I was telling Eli earlier, I was looking up some stuff, you know on April 14th of this year, of this year, tens of thousands of Iranians marched on Jerusalem Day in their city of Tehran. You know what they were chanting? Death to America death to Israel. What is that? God said it was going to happen. All that hatred, all that persecution, all that just, what did Aminadot say? We're going to push them into the sea. We're going to drive Israel into the sea. He said that years ago when he was in power. But despite all that, Amen. on May 14, 1948, Amen. after almost 2,000 years of having no home, that little nation was Amen. born in a day can you take that in can you take that in a hundred years ago nobody Israel what's that what's Israel it, we know what it is today because of God's promises go to Matthew 24 see what does it have to do with anything you're talking about Pat let me just try a little something here I'll just throw this at you like a bazooka and then you can get hit and think about it for the next few days Matthew 24 you think about that The fact that Israel exists is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy that the days are coming to a close. That the promise of His coming is here. Because God said in those last days at the end, I'm going to gather my people out and plant them. He's going to regather them before He regenerates them. And they're regathered. But now the regeneration has to happen at the end of that tribulation time. But look at Matthew 24. Why Why am I making a big deal out of this? Because in discussing His return... That's what Matthew 24 is about. Jesus Christ points to the formation of the nation of Israel. Matthew 24, 32, he says, Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. Uh, 33, So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Now, can I tell you something before we try to figure that all out? I'm not going to try to figure it all out, but I'm going to leave you with this thought. Four times in the book of Matthew, Jesus Christ mentions a fig tree. The book of Matthew is a particularly Jewish book with a particular kingdom message for a people waiting for a king. Four times. The fig tree is a symbol of Israel. I won't run all those references, but we could. Go to Matthew 21. Let me show you the three times. Matthew 21 is the first three times. And he says there in Matthew 21, verse 19. And when he, meaning Jesus Christ, saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. You see, in Matthew 21... The nation, the fig tree, is cursed, withered, and removed. The disciples see it the next day. They're like, oh my goodness, it's withered, it's dying, it's gone. That's what happened after Jesus Christ's first coming. The nation was put aside. The fig tree was withered. The fig tree was removed. And you got to move into some of their blessings. But in Matthew 24... He just cursed the fig tree in Matthew 21. But in Matthew 24, when he's talking about the promise of his coming, when he's talking about the signs of his coming, he says in Matthew 24, verse 32, rather, he says, learn a parable of a fig tree. And now he's talking about the fig tree being replanted and about to bear fruit. That's what's going to happen before his second coming. You see, at his first coming... He didn't find the fruit. He cursed it. It withered. He says, you can remove that thing just like I removed this fig tree. The second coming, because you want to know about the second coming? Learn a parable of the fig tree. When it's getting ready to sprout, well, I thought you cursed it. No, no, because when he comes again, it's been replanted, and it's getting ready to sprout. And in verse 34, he says, hey, this generation the one that sees the nation replanted, the one that sees that nation getting ready to bear fruit again, that generation that sees Israel back in the land doing those things will not pass till Jesus Christ comes. You see, how long a generation? We could talk about that another day. But it ain't 150 years. It ain't a super long time. You know why you could trust the promise of His coming? Because of that little nation in the Middle East. Because that little nation's there, I know he's on his way. You know what Jesus added in to the verse thirty five, you know what he stuck it at the end of this? Just in case you were wondering about everything else. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. <laughs> Is they don't matter what Tacitus does, what old Adolf does, what this guy does, what the czars in Russia did, what they want to do in this place, they want to do to push him into the sea, you know what? My word's going to come true just the way I said it, where I said it, how I said it every time. And the existence of Israel is a powerful reminder of that. And finally, go to First Thessalonians 4. This one will be short and hopefully sweet. I will come again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Can I tell you this finally? That you can trust the promise of his coming? Because it's allowed God's people to take heart. We could believe it because God told you. Believe it because people are tainted. Believe it because Israel exists today And believe it because God has always used the promise of his coming to let you take heart. You see, verse number 13 there, it says of chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, people that have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. You see, those Thessalonians were getting persecuted, and I'm sure some people were dying. Facing hardship. And they're wondering what's happened to our our brethren. And in verse 13, you see that God's people may go through hard times. Amen, brother. (laughs) God's people may go through hard times. That's okay. It's normal. It's right there. Right? But God gives his people something that doesn't give the world. He gives us hope. He says, You could sorrow. You could be sad. You could weep. But you don't weep in sorrow as others which have no hope. Emily Dickinson wrote a poem. said, hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Right? That little, like a little bird in your soul just always there, always reminding you that it's going to be okay, that God's in control. And if you're saved, God put that something deep inside of you called hope. And even in your darkest hour, that little thing, that little birdie called hope is singing. Jesus is coming. I will never leave thee. It's going to be okay, son. Always there to remind you that. Verse number 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again... Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. You know why we have this hope? Because we have the risen Savior who is our hope. Be of good cheer, he said. I've overcome the world. If he overcame sin, death, and hell, what have you got on your plate that he can't help you with? That doesn't minimize your heartache. I found that comparing your heartache to someone else isn't fair. Now, I know other people have it worse. That doesn't mean it's not hard for you. It doesn't mean it's not difficult for you. Everybody's got their own sorrow. Everybody's got their own measure of difficulty. Everybody's got their own, you know, tolerance, so to speak. So it's not to say, well, I know it could be worse. I could have gotten shot with a cannon and my legs could have been blown off. I I know it could always be worse, but whatever you're going through, wherever you are right now, God is saying, I can help you with that. I can help you with that. Verse 15, for this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, I mean, there's some authority to this, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This hope causes us to take heart in the promise of His coming. How many funerals for a saint have we read those verses? How many times could a preacher get up here and read those verses and just something in you just... Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come. I mean, it just, it just gives you some kind of hope. It just gives you something. You know, it's that little hope that God put deep inside. you said, yes, 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 he's coming. Yes, it's true. Yes, take heart, beloved. Take heart. Amen. It's going to come true one day. It's going to come true. Like they waited for his first coming. They must have thought, Lord, how long? We wait for his second coming. And He came that first time to defeat death. And He's coming the second time to abolish death forever. When Jesus Christ returns, when the dead in Christ rise, when we are changed, when we meet the Lord in the air, when we're finally with Jesus Christ forever. You know what that gives us? Hope hope, an invaluable invaluable commodity. You know what the Bible says about that in Titus chapter 2? It says, we're supposed to be looking for that blessed hope. We're supposed to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord said, you're supposed to be looking for that hope. And if God put that hope inside of you and God told you to look for it, don't you know He will fulfill it? Don't you think he'll make good on it? Don't you think he'll fulfill that promise of his coming if he told you to look for it and wait for it and, and lean on it? Now I know what happens. Proverbs 13. Hope deferred, make it the heart sick. I'm kind of homesick <laughs> for a country to which I've never been before. No sad goodbyes will there be spoken, for time won't matter anymore. Beulah land, I'm longing for you. And someday on thee I'll stand, there my home will be eternal, Beulah land, sweet Beulah land. Amen. God put that inside of us. How could you long for something you've never seen? Amen. Never known. Because somebody on the inside is from that place Amen. and wants to get back to that place and hope deferred, make it the heart sick. But the Bible says, when the desire cometh, Amen. it is a tree of life. Amen. It doesn't say if the desire comes and maybe the desire comes. It says when that desire comes it's going to spring up into life. And you folks you might be waiting and longing and wondering Lord how long, Lord how long, long, how long you know what God says I put that hope in you I told you to look for that hope and when that desire comes not if but when. Brethren what kind of parent would make a child hope in something that never comes to pass. Right? Amen. You're a real jerk if you do that to your kids. Amen. What would you call a dad who promised to pick you up, never makes good on the promise, never makes good, I'll be there, I'll be there, I'll be there, never makes good. Do you think God's a liar like you? Think God's a trickster like you are? Think God's a deadbeat dad like some people tend to be? No. Verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, right? The promise of His coming is for our comfort. It's supposed to make us take heart. It's supposed to encourage us to go on one more day for Jesus Christ. So folks, brethren, take heart heart. Jesus is coming. He said, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. So as you read your Bible, study your Bible, don't lose sight of the climax. Don't lose sight of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the biggest deal of the book you're reading and as you live your Christian life and try to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, never forget the promise of His coming, that He will come again. Let's bow our heads.